How I love your word, how it lights my path, how it guides my way. As they're going off to their different places, I should really have welcomed you much earlier than this. But we're very pleased to have Kristen Forster with us this morning, who's going to be bringing us the word. So would you like to turn in your Bibles? I'll read the passage that he's going to share from. Um, And we're continuing our journey through Acts, Acts chapter 21. And we'll start at verse 36, and then we're going to go down into chapter 22. Acts 21, verse 36. Yeah, I'll just pick it up at the verse before. When Paul got to the stairs, he was carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. For the multitude of the people kept following them, shouting, away with him. That was a dramatic effect there. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the commander, may I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? Then you are not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness. But Paul said, no, I am a Jew of Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no insignificant city. And I beg you, allow me to speak to the people. When he had given them permission, Paul, standing on the stairs, motioned to the people with his hand. And when there was a great hush, he spoke to them in the Hebrew dialect, saying, Brothers and sisters and fathers, hear my defense, which I now offer to you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew dialect, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated under Gamaliel, strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, just as you all are today. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and putting both men and women into prisons, as also the high priest and all the council of the elders can testify. From them, I also received letters to the brothers and sisters and started off in Damascus in order to bring even those who were there to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. But it happened that as I was on my way, approaching Damascus about noontime, a very bright light suddenly flashed from heaven all around me. And I fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus the Nazarene whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me saw the light, to be sure, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Get up and go on into Damascus, and there you will be told of all that has been appointed for you to do. But since I could not see, because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. A certain Ananias, a man who was devout by the standard of the law and well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing near said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very time, I looked up at him and he said, The God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will. And to see the righteous one, and to hear an utterance from his mouth. 
For you will be a witness for him to all men of what you have seen and heard. Now why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. It happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I fell into a trance and I saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves understand that in one synagogue after another, I used to imprison and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of your witness, Stephen, was being shed, I also was standing by approving and watching out for the coats of those who were slaying him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Amen. Let's pray for Chris. Lord Jesus, we're so grateful to have Kristen with us this morning and we want to pray your blessing upon him. We pray you would fill him with your Holy Spirit and we pray that all the things you've put in his heart for us, Lord, will come through and land with us and we'll receive them as your words to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Good. Well, it's always nice to be back. Um, I was just remembering, um, you know, you've got the fireworks party. Because many, 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 many years ago, when I was somewhat slimmer and had less, more hair, actually, <laughs> um, I had the, we had the responsibility for actually organising the fireworks at the fireworks party. We were given, um, in the days where, you know, you could trust teenagers, because I was only a teenager at the time, we were given a few hundred pounds and went up to, um, to Hamley's, which is the only place that would sell expensive fireworks rather than those little ones, you know, the... The ones that you spend a fortune on, and they just kind of fizzle, don't they? <laughs> so we, we, we bought all these things, but one of them we had, um, we, we, kind of, we, we got a couple of really big ones. We thought we'd start with a big one, and we'd finish with a big one. And we were tossing up, and we had one that we thought, okay, we'll start with this one. It's called a mortar, um, but it had come without instructions, um, we, um, which was, it, it didn't seem to bother us as teenagers, because it doesn't, does it? Have you ever noticed, you know, that kind of thing? So it was kind of vaguely rocket-shaped with a tubular launcher that you had to bury in the ground. So we, we, we dug a kind of a hole down into the ground, put the thing in, um, dropped, the, uh, dropped the thing point upwards with the thing, lit it on the, to, it's going to be the launch, everyone gathered around. We had a, a children's work, which had about 50 or 60 kids from around the various estates all turned up with their parents, and it blew a massive crater into the lawn. So, <laughs> and all the kids started to cry, which... Uh, <laughs> which is not really the way you want to start. But we did, somehow we did manage to salvage it anyway. Um, we, got, we got one the, the year after, and it did come with instructions, and shows you're actually supposed to put the point downwards rather than upwards, which is totally counterintuitive. So. <laughs> but, you know, there's a, there's a lot of grace to these things. I have good memories of those, um, <laughs> those sorts of wonderful family events that we, uh, that we have in church. So, anyway, that's got nothing to do with what Paul was talking about. Um, I, I was just juggling around yesterday. Um, Debbie sent me the passage earlier in the week, and um, I was thinking about it. I thought, there are so, there are so many things, actually, in this, this passage. <laughs> um, so I, I, I think, what do, how do we do this? Which, which, what way do we take it? You could take it one of several, three, maybe four different ways. In the end, what I'm going to try and do in the time we have... <laughs> is I want to give you a little bit of the historical context because actually it's one of those things that we often lose. Um, you know, just as time goes on, we, we've lost our understanding of the situation we're in. And actually, the situation that Paul is in 
has certain parallels which we can understand a little bit today, if I can put it in those ways. And what, what you have actually within the, 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 the Jewish people who still had relative strength, um, and as a, as a faith, they still had some relative strength, but they'd gone through the mill a bit. Um, and in that context, you get, not, un, not dissimilar to perhaps to today, you, you had all sorts of, um, of kind of political infighting and trading between the different factions. Because actually when things are under pressure, and very often when things are going down, um, it's very possible when you've got different nuances within a, within a community for one group to look like they're growing. And I think, in, to some degrees, the church has been in that place for a few years. Some churches look like they're growing, say, so you should do it just like we do. But actually, they're growing because as everything is going down, people are being attracted to where there seems to be something that makes sense to them. So it's not really growth. Can you see it here this way? It's actually just that you're the best of when things are kind of seen to be squeezing down. And I, I'm not wanting to kind of be a dampener on faith. I'm talking about, actually, let's face the situation and the world we look at. And globally, <clears throat> um, the, the, the kingdom of Jesus has never been bigger. <laughs> um, in Europe, we're in a mess. And, and, it, and in the Anglosphere as well, you know, the English-speaking world. Um, and so we do need to, to recognize that. And, and, and it's not quite as simple as just, oh, there's a growing church over there, because very often they're just very good at doing a particular niche within their thing which attracts people to it. That makes sense. Um, but that doesn't, <clears throat> I don't want us to be fearful either. Um, because actually that's, in many ways, what we're going to see is actually Paul, Paul has turned up and in a lot of ways he has the solution to them, to the very, kind of, the, the very context which is creating the scenario he steps into. So we'll think a little bit about the history. But this is the second time as well where Paul has kind of publicly given his testimony it's, um, there's a third occasion in Acts, or the second time in Acts, sorry, where it records Paul's testimony. There's a third occasion as well. I'll, I'll make reference to that because you get a little bit of extra information. And, and there's something actually that, is, that, that where we understand both something of the nature of the mission that, that God had called Paul to, but also there's something which is about generally about calling and how God takes an individual and reshapes and resurrects and it puts to death certain things and resurrects other things and actually equips them um, for doing something that actually makes um, a difference. And it's very easy as we kind of look back um, at, at, at the heroes of our faith <laughs> and, and it feels to us as we look back at them that somehow they felt enormous when they were, they were going through it, which I think is very rarely the case. <laughs> And the reason I want to say that is because most people think, well, I bet if I'd been Paul, I would have felt like a king of the world, you know. <laughs> if, if I'd been Abraham, I would have been, a, a, you know, it must have felt great. You know, actually, it never felt great when they were in it. Um, and very often, they didn't really see the fruit of, and, and actually, Paul is true, this is true of Paul, too. They didn't actually see the things that God had promised them at all in their lifetime. You know, I've, I've often used Abraham as an example of this. You know, Abraham says, look, see all this land, I'm giving it to your descendants. You know, they're all going to get it. <laughs> um, and um, and what, what does Abraham actually see in his life? He has water rights and a grave plot. That's it. And a son. One. And a half. You hear it that way. <laughs> it's, it's like that he's got the little bits. <laughs> And, and, and actually, and it's true of Paul, you're going to hear is what God said to him. And actually, we look back on it, um, in his lifetime, it didn't actually look like he did what God had called him 
This might be a surprise. <laughs> um, he, can I say, I'm going to be a bit provocative. Um, Paul did actually less Gentile mission than some of the other apostles that we don't read about. But he had a bigger impact on the Gentiles than any of the others. Okay. Just want to hear that for a second, because actually it puts perspective in. In his lifetime, Thomas made it to China. And, we, and, 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 and while China may be a little bit speculative in some people's minds, India is so solid that he got to India, absolutely solid that he got to India, because there's a church there that can tell you the names of the people all the way back to the families, to when he kind of was there. That kind of evidence is not something that you make up over thousands of years. Does that make sense? You know, Andrew <laughs> made it right the way up into Russia. And, you know, legend says he went to, 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 um, uh, to Scotland. He probably didn't do very much there, but there was a trade route from the top in Russia that came over the top and stopped off in Scotland and then came down to the south. So it's possible he really did. Some of the apostles went miles and miles and miles. <laughs> and Paul um, spent most of his time in the kind of slightly wider area and he, he was in areas where there were a lot of Jews. And so he says in the beginning of the book of Romans, I went first to the Jews and then the Gentiles, to so the Jew first and then to the Greeks. Okay. It's only actually probably for a few years in the 60s where he's traveling to much more genuinely Gentile areas. But his impact on the Gentile church really comes post-death. Because every single one of us has read his words and have embodied his theology and it's not a theology that was nothing to do with Jesus, because as we're going to see, he, he emphasizes that that was part of his calling, was somehow to understand something that released the Gentiles. Does that make sense? <laughs> but when he was living through it, <laughs> Paul, okay, he's got his character flaws. He comes across a bit pompous sometimes, doesn't he? Um, don't we all? <laughs> Sorry. No, you don't know me that well. So <laughs> My wife might agree with that one. <laughs> And so anyway, let's, let's get back to the words. Let's get back to the text. So just to kind of give it, otherwise I, I won't mention any of the things I said we'd do. <clears throat> so we, we, as we get that beginning of, from the end of the last chapter, so there's this big riot kind of taking place, you know, all, all stirring up in the temple. And, um, and the, the, the Roman fort, um, Josephus, the historian tells us, it had a, a run of stairs that ran down to the edge of the courtyard, um, and, um, and so the, the Roman soldiers were there, but they, it used to cause great ructions when Roman soldiers came into the courtyard, um, the court of the Gentiles. So in theory, they could potentially, because they would come in with their insignia and so on. So they were very cautious about stepping into the, into the temple. Um, but they, 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 um, and so they, 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 when, when it talks about Paul standing on the steps, <laughs> it's a really, this, is the, this is a borderline you know, between like North and South Korea. Really, sorry, you know... Uh, so on this side, Paul is safe. <laughs> He's under Roman jurisdiction. When he steps in here, technically he is, but it's a lot more dangerous. Um, and because they're not going to come in there and do too much too casually. And they have arrangements and agreements with the temple guards so that they can, kind of, uh, they can try and manage things. And they will come in if things really do go bad, but nobody really wants to disturb the peace. So Paul's in that situation. We, we read about how... Um, he got to the stairs, you see. And when he got to the stairs, so that's not trivial. When we're on the stairs, we're now, now we can stop and breathe and we can talk about it. Over there, they can, be, they can be waving fists and so on, but we're on this, now we're on the stairs, so we're okay. 
Um, and he's about, about to be brought into the barracks. He's still on the stairs, so he's still within. He can shout. He can preach all those who are in the t- temple courtyards. Um, he's about to be brought, and the commander said, um, may I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? <laughs> um, then you're not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a revolt. Um, I'm just trying to get my... Um, and led 4,000 into the wilderness. And Paul said, I'm a, a Jew. Um, and, and I think that the... Um, as Paul... Uh, he said to the commander, sorry, it's, yeah, that's the way around. I was just suddenly, I thought I'd prepared it the wrong way around. So Paul says to the commander, you know Greek, don't you? <laughs> and um, as he's talking to him, the, the, the commander says, so you're not the Egyptian. Now that's an odd phrase, isn't it, when you stop and think about it. What's he talking about, the Egyptian? Well, in the temple, an Egyptian in the temple. Um, but actually, um, Egypt is a massive center of Judaism. Um, so he's not actually saying the Egyptian, kind of, you know, the sandwalk sort of thing. <laughs> Um, 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 when um, Alexander had come through, um, he'd come through Syria conquering, the, and um, he'd gone off to kind of conquer Jerusalem. As he turned off to conquer Jerusalem, there was a, there was a, um, a, a Jewish priest who was very savvy, and as he came riding, um, do you, remember, you know the verses, the prophecies about, behold, your king comes humble on a donkey? That was in contrast to what just happened with Alexander, who came on a war horse, you see, that was given that prophecy. But in that context, as he approaches Jerusalem, the priest comes out, with all of the, gets all of the trumpets, and they all start celebrating, and Alexander thinks, what, they're coming out to greet me, I'm coming here to beat them. And he shows him how Alexander is prophesied in the prophets, <laughs> in the book of Daniel, and, and in Zechariah, well, maybe, maybe it's not Zechariah, but some of the other places, there were, um, and, and shows, some of, um, shows, shows how the, some of Alexander's campaign. So Alexander, in, instead, ends up going to the temple and offering a sacrifice to worship God. And he goes off down to, um, uh, to Egypt, so he feels very blessed by the Jews. He goes off down to Egypt, and he takes a bunch of, of Jewish soldiers with him, and they conquer northern um, Egypt, you see, and, um, and found the city of Alexandria. Um, over half of which becomes a, a total under total Jewish control, Jewish enclave. Um, and at various different points, there are more, more Jews living in, in Egypt, in Alexandria, living under full Jewish rule than there are in Egypt. Sorry, in, in Jerusalem. So, so, the, so Egypt becomes a bit of a center for a different style or a different flavor of Judaism. It's not the Hellenists, we're going to see. Oh, actually, it is the Hellenists, sorry. <laughs> Um, but it isn't, it's not uniquely so, it's another group I can say. So that we, you see, although that is in Egypt, this is the Hellenist, is the Greek empire. It's where, where Alexander had settled and so on, and, and there were groups of Jews, and they have a certain amount of favor in, in Alexander's empire. So they're spread all over, and they have their big center in Alexandria. So probably this Egyptian is someone who's come up from there. But the, the, the Hellenists are now becoming unpopular with the Jews in Jerusalem because the, the, the Jews in Jerusalem um, are much more focused on the ritual. Um, the, the Hellenists are being very influenced by the Gentiles and you can't sometimes tell the difference between a Hellenist and a, and a Gentile from somewhere. <laughs> um, there's a lot of intermarrying going on and there's a lot of adopting kind of cultures and a little bit backwards and forwards. And, and, and it's good for kind of the God-fearing side of things. But, but um, in, in about 48, between 40 to 50 AD, a famous um, Hellenist Jewish thinker um, by the name of Philo actually comes to Jerusalem. <laughs> and at the philosophical level, everyone can kind of get on. 
Um, but actually, there are some things actually in the Gospels that we actually, we actually find threaded through in, in, in Hellenist thinking. So Philo was the person who used the word logos for the, the firstborn son of God. He talks about the firstborn son of God who is the word. And, 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 and it's not that he gave that word to the church, because he's using it at a similar time to the way the church is seeing it and applying it to Jesus. Because theologically in Jewish circles, you can find there is a long Jewish theology about God's word, who is an active agent, who is embodied, who was God's firstborn son. You read it in the book of Proverbs. I was wisdom, and I was with God in creation. I was begotten, not created. So God has always had something that has emerged from him, his word, and, and the Hellenists got very into that because it was very philosophical. Does that make sense? So their, their faith was becoming quite philosophical. <laughs> <clears throat> but, but here in... And so, so you probably this Egyptian they're talking about is probably one of those, and he's come up with their philosophical ideas, and we're going to... Somehow he's led some sort of revolt. But now, as we go on to chapter 22, and Paul starts to speak, we start to see him referencing some of the other factions. Um, <clears throat> so, so he's there and says, Brethren and fathers, hear my defense, and I'm going to offer it to you. They heard he was addressing them in Hebrew. They became more quiet. You see, when, when a riot happens, most of the time people aren't really sure what's going on. You know, somehow it hits something primal. It's, whoa, smash that window, steal that television. We'd never normally do it, but there's a riot going on. Just got to get involved, haven't you? <laughs> so there are people doing it, and suddenly he's speaking. And actually, oh, he's not actually speaking Greek. Because remember, this whole thing's been kicked off because he's there with, and, and someone said he's, he's bringing Greeks in. Well, some of the people who are with Paul probably don't look that Jewish because actually out in diaspora in the north, in areas where Hellenist Jews were, a lot of the synagogues, even if they weren't philosophically like the Hellenists, have now adopted another form of, of ways of doing things, um, led by a, uh, by, um, a, uh, uh, by a, a, what well, it was a, kind of links its way back to a Jewish rabbi by the name of Hillel. Um, and Hillel is, is much more seriously Jewish, put it that way. And he, but he also takes seriously the proselyte mission. And so in certain communities, you've got the Hellenized, the philosophically Jewish, but you've also got those who are now living in that area, and we're a bit influenced by them, but we don't want to lose too much. And so they become quite casual, except for the thing around circumcision. So actually, you're really Jewish because you've been circumcised, but in lots of ways, you can look similar... Um, we've got to find ways of practically, pragmatically working. And actually, Paul was brought up as a Hillelite Jew. And we know that because he actually makes reference to it here. So he says, um, I, I was educated under Gamaliel. So I am out there in the Greek world, and I'm here with people who look a bit Greek, but we are genuinely sticking with the Jewish rituals. Does that make sense? So I'm doing it that kind of a way. <laughs> Now, in a lot of ways, people often say, oh, Jesus, Jesus was quite Hillelite. Well, that's sort of true, except that the Hillelites had become a little bit casual. Um, it, it, in other words, they had become very sophisticated at interpreting the Bible in ways that allowed them to do what they wanted to do. And you couldn't do it if you couldn't interpret the Bible to say it was okay to do it. But if you could, then that was all right. Does that make sense? So famously, Jesus had a confrontation with Hillelite philosophy, um, when he talks about divorce. Because <laughs> he says, you know, is it, is it legitimate to divorce a wife, uh, to divorce a woman for any matter? And that any matter is a Hillelite, that's their winning card. 
The Hillelites are not that strong in Jerusalem. So we're going to say. So in Jerusalem, they're not really a strong factor. Um, but out in the world, because he was much more open to kind of reaching out to the Gentiles, they, they are stronger out there. But the thing that made them popular <laughs> in Jerusalem was because they would issue a divorce for any matter. Does that make sense? So, so that word is key. So we, we often read it in English as, is it legitimate to divorce a wife for any reason at all? Is there any possible reason? And, um, and Jesus says no. Um, he doesn't actually, because he, does, he confirms and says, actually, Moses allowed divorce in cases of immorality and so on because of your hardness of heart. So it's not that no divorce is ever legitimate, but actually this any matter is just bam, casual. Does that make sense? <clears throat> and so, you, so if, if she burns the, burns the dinner or you just want to trade up or trade down, it's probably the way to think about it, for a younger model, that's okay. That's any matter. She offends me because she's not as young as she used to be. I'm not wanting to be unkind to anyone. I'm just saying this, is, this was the sophistry that is being bought to allow you. So you're being kind of biblical, but you're, you're turning it any old way. <laughs> and Jesus challenges that. He has a different approach. So, so Paul kind of makes a reference. So I am, yeah, okay, I look Jewish. Sorry, so I, I might look a bit Greek, but I'm more like the Hillelites, and some of them are here because Gamaliel is on the council. And I used to sit at his feet, and actually you remember that, don't you? You remember what he says? You know? and, and actually, and here's now, here's something just to note, because you're all rioting because you've heard I've done something, but actually part of what I've done is, is there's history to it. <laughs> There's history to why people are not happy that I'm here, because I used to do, and let's now just say it out publicly, Paul's being very provocative here, I'm going to tell you all about what they told me to do. (laughs) They sent me out after this group. (laughs) They're the ones. I was really zealous for God. I persecuted the way, binding them both men and women into prisons. I persecuted the way to death. Now... Death is a complex thing to understand because technically it would have been very difficult to kind of put them in crimes that were capital. But you, you know when persecutions come, people die, don't they? You don't necessarily kill them, but actually just the context and the, you know, being locked up, taken away, ripped away, left in to, to not, no food in prison. And, da, da. And, and if they die, that's not execution. They just died because of the persecution. Does that make, but he was involved in a persecution that has that actually it meant that there are people who lived in Jerusalem and in the surrounding areas who probably know someone who died and because I was doing it on their behalf these are the same people who are probably stirring stuff up at the moment as <laughs> Paul's putting it I do, I do love his boldness there's some, something that I don't think you can ever plan to be this bold I can put it that way you're just deceiving yourself <laughs> but you suddenly find yourself in a moment and somehow something of the spirit of God is there <laughs> And so, um, and so, um, and the high priest and the council of the elders can testify. Um, from them, I received letters to the brethren, and so on. And and um, now the the, the 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 Pharisees who were popular in Jerusalem, because the Hillelites were quite minor. Gamaliel was one, Paul was one, but they tended to be stronger in diaspora as a kind of counterbalance to the Hillelites, to the Hellenists. Were a group called the Shammaiites, <laughs> and they were very strict for ritual. You know, they do it exactly right. We do our rituals the right way. So there is in the Talmuds, there's a, there's a kind of a jokey encounter. It probably didn't happen, but it's kind of illustrative of, um, of, of Hillel and versus Shammai, you see. And, so a, and it's a Gentile who wants... See, you see how the Gentile thing comes out in this? <laughs> there's a difference of their attitude to the Gentiles. 
So the, the Gentile comes and says, I want, I want to know the law, but because he's a Gentile, but he's a bit lazy. So he says, but you've got to tell me while, I can balance, while I'm balancing on one leg, you see. Um, at which point, Shammai says, can't be bothered, and knocks him over, you see. And um, Hillel says, um, love, to love your neighbor as yourself, everything else is commentary, you see. So you can see how he sounds more like Jesus, doesn't he, you see. But can you get the idea? So the Shamites were not really bothered with proselytes. They had to accept them, um, but they were, quite, they were quite clear on the fact that a proselyte's not a proper Jew. You hear that? So, um, so Herod, therefore, was not a proper Jew because his family were proselytes from before. So yes, you can become one, and it's better to be a proselyte than not be a proselyte, but even when you become one, you don't go to heaven because that's only for proper Jews. You just get the privilege of contributing to the coffers in the temple and being able to eat with us. Does that make sense? So that was his approach to the Gentile missions. They are the, they are the strong faction um, in Jerusalem. They're, and they are the ones who've come up with the rule of Corban. Remember, Jesus speaks against that. So he's spoken against the Hillelites in the past. <laughs> he also speaks against the Shamites when he says, you know, where, where they said, what you can do is, you know, you've got money. When you, leave, when you die, you can leave it to the temple. So we'll call that Corban. And all those other good things you ought to do with it, like looking after your parents, you're not allowed to do that anymore. And you've got a nice religious reason to do it. <laughs> Does that make sense? <laughs> So, okay, we don't need to do it because, after all, when I die, I'm giving it all to the church. <laughs> so <laughs> I won't do anything useful with it now. So there's all of this faction. I don't want to get too, too bogged down in the details. of, But can you see, it's not just straightforward. And, and Paul makes his statement, and he tells his testimony. And, and this is where... So, because uh, at the heart of it, he answers this issue, which has gone wrong with all of these other groups which is, what does, the, what does what God is doing here in Israel, what does it actually mean for the world out there and all of the mess it's in? You hear it that way? <laughs> We've tried it different ways. We can become a little bit waffly and abstract and theoretical, and we can, do the, and, and then we can stay relatively peaceful there if we do it abstractly, and we, you know, <laughs> like, the, like the Hellenists do. We can do it a little bit, it's all about eating and drinking together and, and we can find ways of kind of getting around so that we can, we can work with it and as long as you're circumcised, that's key. It's really where it all hinges. Or <laughs> we can take the, we're, we're here and we're really rigid and we don't care about you lot. And we can take a similar attitude when we look at the world around us today, um, particularly in the Western world. We can have the abstract conversations and I'm not anti any of the three solutions in one sense. What I'm saying is they somehow don't quite get there. You know, it's not, it's not irrelevant. Christendom benefits people who live in it. It may not be the same as an active Christian faith, but it's still good for the people who live in it, better than non-Christendom. So it's good if we're seeding the ideas. Okay. Um, <laughs> It's good if we're somehow able to act graciously with people and, and we can excuse them and so on and we don't just kick them over when they're trying... Someone comes God-seeking and we say, you're not good enough like the Shamites, and we knock them over. And the flip side is sometimes we become so casual and laid back, we don't know what is it that makes us different. At least the Shamites know what makes them different. <laughs> and all these different things pulling in different ways and then Paul comes into the mix and he tells his story. So I'd better be quick. It's taking time, but uh. <clears throat> so I just, just so he, you know, we know his story. He struck down by light, and then he says, and um, and Anna, uh, Anna and I, uh, 
Um, so yeah, Ananias who comes and speaks to him and says these words to him. Um, You'll be a witness for him to all men of what you have seen and heard. And when Paul tells the story um, later on in the book of Acts, he talks about um, that Jesus spoke to me too. And he, said he, he said two things to, to Paul. He said, you'll, you'll be a witness, or sorry, he said, you'll be a minister or a servant um, and, and a witness to things that I will, future tense, reveal to you. Here it's in the past tense, what you have already seen. And then Paul, in his defense, he does both things. He, he kind of talks out of Israel's history, what you're rooted in, your history, how this is pointing to Jesus. And that becomes one of Paul's ways of addressing Jews. Because he was trained as a rabbi, he understands those things. He could see the markers, he can see the prophecies. This is what Paul has already seen. But the bit I really want to draw out, which comes out much more clearly when you get to Acts 26, where Paul is telling the same story. Um, I heard a voice and he said who are you Lord and I said I am Jesus who you're persecuting so rise stand on your feet for this purpose I've appeared to you to appoint you as a minister or a servant same just different translations and as a witness not only of the things which you have seen but also things in which I will appear to you and 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 Paul actually gives us an insight into something of what God Jesus meant when he said that when we we read his stories in Colossians. So I'm just going to quickly go there. I'm sorry I'm doing this at speed, but I want... um, So I've got a note in here. So at the end of Colossians 1, he says this. He talks about his calling and says some quite remarkable things. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. (laughs) These are what we're reading about in Acts is part of the sufferings that Paul goes through for our sake. (laughs) This is having to put himself out there for our sake. The our sake, of course, are Gentile converts in this context. Um, I do my share on behalf of his body in filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. Now, that's a weird statement, isn't it? That sounds almost blasphemous for Paul to say what's lacking. (laughs) Um, But actually, his way of understanding it, if you kind of pull all the bits together, is, as we're going to see, the solution is Christ in you where the solution is. And actually, when I'm suffering, Christ is still suffering. This is part of his suffering. So when, when, I am, when, when he is suffering in me, I'm actually filling up what his own suffering is. Does that make sense? I, he, he is in me, and he is suffering with me, so I'm adding more so. Him in me, suffering for the right purposes, he's become part of it. So that's not really my main point. I just need to kind of reference that. It's an odd verse. He says, of this church, I was, or of this, I was made a minister. Well, we read about that. Jesus said, I'll make you a minister. Okay? According to the stewardship God bestowed on me for your benefit, that I might fully carry out the word of God. Um, the mystery which has been hidden from past ages and generations, but now has been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known the riches of his glory of this mystery, among the Gentiles, I this came about because of his calling to send me to the Gentiles. He showed me something which I'm now giving to you, which actually he wanted to reveal, but people weren't ready for just yet. And what is that thing? The glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. 
It's not by how you, it's not by whether you've been circumcised, it's not by whether you keep the law in these ways or those ways or whether you academically accept it. All of those are kind of good and godly and they can contribute to a place of Christendom which is better for people to live in a world that actually belief believes in the Ten Commandments. Does that make sense? Then, then actually, and I'll just throw these things out. So just last week we saw that Channel 4 are doing My First Threesome. That's their new program. And can you, you know, I just, I'm not trying to make a point. I'm just saying we live in a really messed up world that has abandoned. <laughs> it's good that people are saying, keep the Ten Commandments. That make, but that's not what it is about. And, and I quickly want to draw a couple of two things together. One, to make it applicable, and two, to, to balance it and say, what is it we like to expect <laughs> going forwards? And Paul tells, spelled it out a little bit in Romans 10 where he, he says in Romans 10, I was most zealous, you know. But it's not our place to say who's going to ascend to heaven. And he's quoting from Deuteronomy. In other words, amongst some of the, the, the thinkers of, Jewish thinkers of, Jesus, of, of Paul's day, I should say, there were those thinking, if we're just good enough, we'll get more revelation from God, and that will tell us what to do. And we'll be better, and we'll win the battle. Does that make sense? We'll win the battle. It's not my, my job to do that, because that somehow makes Jesus smaller. Because he's the one who's ascended. He's done that. So that revelation sits in Jesus. And, and don't say, and we're not quite sure where he's quoting from at this stage, but he says, um, you know, who's going to descend into the depth, into the abyss? But fundamentally, you kind of see, it's sort of people sitting there saying, well, I'm looking at that person and so-and-so, you know, Derek's on his way to heaven because he's a good guy, but, you know, I'm not so sure about Alex, so he's on his way down. It's not our job to do that. And then he kind, of, he, he kind of unpacks in Romans 10 that you don't really know <laughs> how it's going to happen because sometimes those who are real persecutors, like I was, he puts it, like I was, suddenly it's got turned around. We can't tell. So how do we know when someone is keeping the faith when the culture is so different? <laughs> when the culture is so different? Well, it's this incredible hope, the glory of Christ in you. And, and here's the weird thing, not the weird thing, but the encouraging thing, or, but sometimes it's a bit unnerving, is I'm absolutely blown away as I read through Scripture, as I read it now with certain eyes, because you tend to see what you end up looking for. And so, so we have to challenge ourselves for what we're looking for when we read Scripture so that we keep seeing different things. <laughs> and then we look for the Holy Spirit to bring something to, to bring to bear on this. But in, in this, this mix, as... as um, I often used to ask, why didn't Jesus write his, write his, why didn't he write a book? You know, wouldn't that be the best book ever? And that's the problem. It would be the best book ever and there'd be nothing else to do. Does that make sense? You know, so actually he didn't. He, I would, I would really be drummed out if I say he foolishly. <laughs> Jesus takes his incredible risk of just living life and saying to his friends, I want you to record it, please. <laughs> you know? Um, and so they actually have a, they, they have a role in the, their, their ways of seeing it is the way we've had it sent to us. Now, partly because actually it's always been about enfranchising his people. It is not about taking authority away from them. It has been about enfranchising them to be the right thing. So in actual fact, Jesus avoids writing a book because then we would all read that and nobody would read the rest of the Bible. Does that make sense? He, he avoids that. He, he gets those who are with him to participate. And Paul is a great example of this. Paul is not better than you. 
Paul had a job to do, and he did it. And he left the message and understanding for us about Christ in us that allows us now to go on in the participation process. And, and, and my, ex, my experience, because I do a lot developmentally with people, and you sit down and you talk to them, is, is most people can actually, when they start to discover what is it God's given them to do, start to realize, actually, when I first became a Christian, I can remember something about these things. It's, I'm absolutely, I'm not making it a rule. I'm just saying, time and time again, like Paul, you find that one of the first things that God ever said to them seemed to have something to do with what they're doing now. And it doesn't just happen once, necessarily, but that's how revelation comes in. Paul got this by, by, by future revelation that Jesus promised him when he got saved. When, on the, the, when he was on that road to Damascus and the light hit him <laughs> and, and Jesus said, I'm going to make you a servant of the church and I'm going to make you a witness of things which I will reveal to you. Not yet, not yet. And so Paul is able to express something of how you follow God that has nothing to do with culture because so cultures are so, so different. And what does it mean? <laughs> and, and this is the reality. I'm not saying that this is where the church should go, but... The reality is in messed up cultures, God has always done works. So there are, there are fellowships of, of, of people who are involved in the sex trade. Young girls very often who are finding Jesus in those places. That doesn't mean to say the whole church is supposed to go there, but in that messed up place, there are people who work there whose lives are caught in a tangled web which God is going to in- extricate them from. But that's actually how... That's how society changes. And we're living now in, the, in a situation where we're dealing with people who will come in and we'll talk to on the streets and we'll offer to pray for them, whose lives are nothing like the way we would want them to be. <laughs> and we've got this choice. We can either divide it up, find the acceptable bit, the intellectual, that's nice. <laughs> the kind of how do we eat and, and be friendly with people, that's the Hillel lights. Or the way we kind of mark out our, our uniqueness and how special we are, and that could be a witness to them in that way. We could do that too. Yeah? <laughs> but the funny thing is, what we got is incredible, is Christ in us. And I, and I won't be the one who can judge and say, you're going, but actually that's what I'm looking for, the signs of Christ in you. I'm looking for the signs of Christ in you. It's not easy to kind of put the marker on it, but it can work. And I've probably taken my time, haven't I? So, yeah, yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> I had one other thing, I won't, I won't, I'll save that for another day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I just, my, my, my thoughts are this, is how do we do it? Is we, we, don't, we don't all have to get whipped 40 times or whatever, like, you know, Paul does. <laughs> um, but, but actually, we, we will end up taking risks, like Paul does, in our context. For the sake of something that he's given us. Because when Paul said, I'm now going to the Gentiles, he was being faithful to what God had given him when he first met him. That makes sense. I'm going to make you a minister to the church. So he was there actually helping people to fulfill their vows. Do you remember? He took them and that's how he got there. He's just faithfully getting on and serving into the body of fellowship in a city that he once left because the Lord said probably you ought to. So he, but he's doing what he's been asked to do. He's ministering to the church and he's going to go to the Gentiles because that's something that God's given him. 
And he ends up, Paul's great call to the Gentiles is not how much work he did amongst those who were Gentiles, because others of the apostles did similar or more. His great contribution in the, in the, in the Indian church that Thomas went to, <laughs> um, they were quite Jewish. It, was probably, it probably was a hangover of Jewish, that, so it was before, you know, they didn't have the revelation that Paul had got hold of. They say, well, why didn't Jesus give that to one of his disciples? Well, because Paul is an example to us. He is a prototype rather than an inspiration. Jesus is our inspiration. Paul is the prototype <laughs> of those that can have been around him but never really seen Jesus. When he sees Jesus, something happens. Um, but actually, he sees the resurrected Jesus. And that's how we often come into that experience of Christ in you, isn't it? There's something, you're in a meeting and someone preaches the gospel. You're in a conversation with someone when you're in a low place and someone shares something and something light comes on. And that's the foundation of how Christ starts to form in you. Here's my final point, which I said I wouldn't do, but it's, it's such a nice one, I just remembered. Um, Jesus says, when a seed, unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. Um, I, it, was a, it was a science teacher told me this when I was speaking once. He came and said, you know, that when um, the seed falls into the ground, goes under the ground, the sunlight, when it's directly overhead during the right seasons of summer, kills the top layer of the, um, of the seed. So until the seed dies, part of that seed dies, and because it kills the top layer, um, the, the life that's left inside it knows what direction to grow in. That makes sense? There's something about the experience that Paul had with Jesus that killed something about him. Does that make sense? And showed him the direction to grow. And he took all of the training and all of the skills he had, which he had used to persecute, in which case you think, oh, I should never touch those again. But how many times does people take those things in someone's life that maybe seems a bit rotten and actually somehow turns them into something that has the life of Christ in them? And so I just want to finish by asking you to kind of, as you're in your own engagement with the Lord and your own history, that's the remarkable thing. That's, that's Paul's unique contribution, is that the righteousness that comes by faith, as he writes about it in Romans, it's the righteousness that comes by faith. And, and faith is active and wants to go forwards. It wants to grow. It's rooted in what's gone before. It's not lost its context. If you take it out of good soil, it's going to be in a bad place. But in good soil, it's not, it's not all about good soil. It's about fruit that's for the future, and it pushes forwards. And so just as we have that dialogue, we've, we all have totally different journeys. Our challenges will be totally different. The places where God will call us to be a bit embarrassed and a bit persecuted may not be as extreme as the martyrs and Paul were. But in type, they'll be similar. There'll be those little things where I tell my story, and this is my perspective, and I don't see it the way you do, not because I hate you, but because this is what I found. <laughs> and we may well find we're kind of risking all the factions that blow up and do their stuff. But to know that in the end, it's not about me getting it right either, it's about Christ in me. And, and, and those, those seeds. And so I just want us to, as you, as you engage with the Lord, I just want us to know our calling. Every one of us has a calling. It is very often it is activated. It was, it was laid down in us often before we even knew Jesus, with the skills we've got, the abilities we've got, those sorts of things. It's very often activated in the crisis moment where he breaks in for the first time. But actually, as that does so, it kind of sometimes is often there that we have the, okay, that's who I am. 
And it's okay. This is, I'm going to be this, but I'm going to be it now for Jesus. I'm going to do this now for Jesus. <laughs> and it, at certain points, I'm going to have key moments like Paul does. It won't be every day, but sometimes it will. And I try and be faithful to those things he gave me to do. If we keep doing it, we keep doing it like that. <laughs> it's the world that's getting more religious, not us. You know, um, the modern world is full of religious zeal with no grace. If you posted the wrong tweet 15 years ago, be sure your sins will find you out. Okay? That's not, but you see, that's not even the way we measure it. I see Christ in you. <laughs> Christ in you. Christ in you. Christ in you. You may not be perfect by the standards of the law, but we've been freed from that. So let's live the life that Jesus has given us, uniquely us. There's nobody who can be better at being you than you. (laughs) Nobody can be better at being you than you. So live the life that you've been given. But actually the bit of it that's died has made space for what God has prepared in you to grow. And you know that something's died because you've had a real encounter with the Lord and that's now how we start to mark. That's how I know. That's how I know. That's the righteousness that comes by faith. I responded. In Jesus' name, I just want to pray for this congregation. And Father, I thank you for the light it's been over a lot of years. And and Father, for the lives that that contribute to that light. (laughs) The lives that contribute to that light. And Father, I want to ask for a fresh sense and reminder of what it is you called us to be. Not corporately, but individually and then together. (laughs) Individually and together. Not just because I'm part of this church, but who did he say to me when he got me on my road to Damascus? What was it he spoke into me? Do I remember it? Have I forgotten it? Do you need to be reminded of it? What was it he put in me? And we live out of that. And we don't know the shape of the fruit we'll produce, (laughs) but we know that we're being fruitful because we're growing in that direction. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.